Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is April 18, 2013. This is episode 1114 of the Survival Podcast. And I've got Jeremy Lesniak on the show with us again. You guys might remember him from a few months ago, maybe four or five months ago. We had him on to talk about uh, security, network security, uh, and network redundancy. And using different technologies to create redundancy in your life or your business, which is certainly part of preparedness. Today he's back on to talk about his other passion, which is martial arts. Uh, specifically, I think the one that he's most into uh, is uh, Taekwondo. But we're going to talk about really not martial arts granularly today. We're going to talk about an overall philosophy of life that martial arts goes along with conflict avoidance, and some other cool stuff. Before I bring Jeremy on, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today is Ready-Made Resources. You know, there's not much more you can ask for from a company than for them to have their name say what they do and then have them do it consistently every time. That's what Ready-Made does. They provide you all the resources you need, ready-made, ready to go for your prepping. Just go to their website, readymaderesources.com, and you'll find all the resources you could ever want for preparedness there. Great pricing, great shipping, and I mean all the resources. I'm talking about 12-volt stuff for your solar and wind projects. They got that. I'm talking about stuff to build your solar and wind projects. They've got that. I'm talking about long-term storage food like Mountain House. They got that. I'm talking about things to make your own food into long-term storage food like vacuum sealers, O2 absorbers, uh, pressure canning equipment. They got that. I'm talking stuff for the garden, stuff for the tactical stuff. You name it, they've got it. Check them out today, readymaderesources.com. Next up today is bulkammo.com. Hey, ammo prices are coming down. It might be time to pick some up. They've got most of the stuff back in stock over at Bulk Ammo. They've also got some 20-round mags uh, still posted on the site. You might want to pick some of those up as well. Those were really hard to get for a while. Um, You know, I've been telling you guys to invest in ammo and accessories for a long time, and we just saw why. Uh, Fortunately... Uh, for us, I think you're about to see prices really come down after um, they couldn't even get some of the lesser stuff through the Senate. Um, I was pretty happy to see uh, Obama with a big frowny face yesterday uh, out in front of the, uh, the Capitol building as they were whining and crying about how it's unfair that they lost. Um, but that doesn't mean they're going to go away, and that doesn't mean we won't go through ammo shortages in the future. Remember, you need enough ammo for that weapon, so not only can you uh, deal with a shortage or a crisis, but so you can train with it and be proficient with it if, God forbid, you ever really need it. So check out BulkAmmo.com today. Uh, last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You do that, you'll get exclusive content available only to members, and you'll help support our show at a whopping 18.3 cents an episode. Military, Law Enforcement, Peace Corps, Active Duty, and Prior Service. Um, you can uh, you can get an extra discount uh, by emailing me before, not after you join. Just email me at jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Put service discounts in the subject line. Tell me a little bit about who you are and what you're doing, or who you are and what you did if you're prior service. And I only mean a couple sentences. Don't give me a whole CV or anything like that. I also extend this to uh, first responders like paramedics, uh, EMTs, and firefighters. Anyway, with that wrapped up, I'm ready to get in the main topic of today's show. Before I bring on uh, Jeremy, though, um, I need to talk to you guys about something that a lot of you already know about, a lot of you have told me about, uh, an issue with uh, Chris Dwayne and Silver Bullet Silver Shield 
and uh, his issues with Rob Gray of AOCS and Mulligan Mint. Um, this is my view of the conflict. On, on, on the, the most basic level, it's not, it's not relevant to me. This is a disagreement between two people. Um, it doesn't affect whether or not my people get taken care of. So at the, at the, the macro level, uh, I don't care. On the micro level, I put out a post today, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but you can read it. It's what I have to say on the issue for now. Suffice to say, Rob Gray is a personal friend. He's been a friend for over four years. Those of you who know me know I choose my friends very carefully, and it's a small number. I have a lot of people out there that I consider acquaintances, but when I consider you my friend, when I consider you a person who, if you called me and said, hey, I need you right now, this second, I'm going to be there, and I figure you would do the same for me, you go on a very, very short list of people. Um, I have done a pretty good job over the years with business relationships and friendships of judging men based on the character that they have. Rob Gray is among the finest men I've ever known. I don't believe many of the accusations that are being made by Chris at all. I also know for a fact some of the insinuations are just factually inaccurate. I know for a fact that I, I unlike Chris, will not reveal information um, that was given to me in confidence. And I only know part of the story, but I can tell you that the whole, I just wanted to walk away and, 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 and that was it, is not true. It's, it's not the actual case. He, Chris Dwayne is not the victim in this, uh, this split between Silver Bullet, Silver Shield, and Mulligan Mint slash AOCS and Rob Gray. Um, and I'll leave it at that. And you can read my post for more information on that. You can just rest assured if you have orders in with AOCS, they will be filled. I will personally guarantee that. Uh, I, I, if you make me aware of a problem and there have been problems, uh, I will go out of my way to make sure those problems are corrected. If you read my post, you will see that I have admitted that over this two-month period of growing pains, AOCS has messed up some stuff. And I have done everything within my power to get everything fulfilled, including at one point telling them, and this is a dead quote, uh, get your shit together and shut the store down until you do. Um, or actually, it was shut the store down until you guys get your shit together. That was how I put it directly to Rob. And it was, it was said with probably more... Uh, hostility in my voice than that because people were not getting the orders on time and I was dissatisfied with the level of service you guys were getting. But I also understood why. And, um, and, and Rob and his team worked hard to get that backlog filled up. I think there's maybe a person or two floating around out there that maybe didn't get their bonus copper medallion out of the opening weekend. I took care of that for one person today. If there's anybody else with any issues out there, you let me know. I will make sure it's made right. When it comes to the problems that happened with the growth curve, With Rob, when I got pretty hard on him about it, he was very humble, and he simply said, Jack, I'll fix it, and he did. And that that's that's where I am with this. The insinuations that Rob snuck off to Singapore, and you got to read Chris's post to see, which is an adult temper tantrum this guy threw uh, in, in this horrible, horrible post. That It's really dumb from his standpoint, from a legal standpoint as well, to go public with information so distorted as it is there. Um But, you know, it's like, well, he went off to Singapore. Well, you know, when you're sneaking off to a place, you don't tell people where you're going. So Rob was never like, you know, hey, I'm going, uh, I'm going fishing. And then next thing you know, it wasn't like that. Um, as far as what kind of house Rob has, that's not a freaking Chris's business. That just means Rob's been successful. And that's, I mean, you start attacking the type of home a person has, you know, it says something about you. And, uh, by the way, Rob's wife is a pretty damn successful entrepreneur. 
And uh, that's a big part of the successful lifestyle that they have today. Uh, that's also not Chris's business, but I don't think my, Rob minds me pointing out that his wife has also been successful uh, in her nutrition business. So anyway, um, this is all I have to say on the issue for now. I will be talking to Rob today. Um, I have really required a lot of them to make right the inconvenience that this audience has 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 experienced. I don't feel that anybody out there has been done wrong. Uh, there was one particular customer service rep that I pretty much said, you need to fire this person because I believe that she gave people inaccurate information that made the problem worse. But I don't think that anybody didn't get their order or would fail to get their order. And I feel that everybody that ordered up until we reopened the store has now had their order filled, again, with maybe a person missing a copper bonus coin or something. So they got their order, but that was left out. And, and we'll clean that up. So... Um, but I've also been like, you know, if we're going to come back on line with this, you guys are going to fix this stuff, and my customers are going to get the kind of service they should get, and I've been tough about it. Uh, so much so that we have a new coin coming out very, very soon. It is going to blow you away. Um, I think a lot of you aren't even going to believe how awesome it is when you see it. I, I really feel that way. Um, but they wanted to come on the air, and they wanted to pre-sell it, and my answer to that was hell no. You've just made people wait three, four, five weeks to get an order. Some, a few, a few, a few, a few a bit longer. Um, no, you will have these coins in stock and ready to ship when we launch the product. So while I back Rob 100% as his friend and his partner, I also hold them to a very high standard. And I do not um, take lightly the, the, the poor experience that some customers had. And I hold them to a higher standard at this point because I know the investment that they've made in infrastructure. And so far as that, this is what's going to happen. Uh, AOCS is about an hour's drive for me. Their, their mint is anyway, Mulligan Mint. And sometime between now and when we launch the new coin, I am going to go over there. I am going to look at all of the upgrades they said they have made. I am going to absolutely verify that I believe that the, they are now capable of taking your orders and shipping them in a much quicker turnaround time. Once I'm convinced of that, we'll launch the new coin. That is the kind of commitment that I make to this audience. Um, I give people a chance to fix things when they make mistakes, when I believe that they're people of integrity. After this recent occurrence, I have to say that I have more faith in Mr. Gray's integrity than I've ever had in my life, and I have very little respect for the integrity of Chris Dwayne. And I find that to be very sad because I really feel that he's done some great work, but I feel he's a person that's used to getting his way. And when he didn't get his way, he threw a freaking fit in text, which is probably worse than the few fits I've thrown verbally because in text, it's, uh, it's hard to say you were misunderstood, Mr. Dwayne. You might want to think about what you're doing going forward. Anyway, with that out of the way, and I just had to say that, I had to address it because I got so many emails of concern. You know, is my order safe? Yeah, your order's safe. I wouldn't be dealing with Rob if it wasn't. Um, I, I needed to make sure I put out a post today, and I addressed this on the air. I'll be having Rob on the air as soon as possible within our scheduling you know, permits uh, to, uh, to, to address some of the other concerns. With that, let me uh, say at this time, uh, hey, Jeremy, man, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. Hey, Jack. Thanks for having me back. Hey, last time I had you on, we talked about security, uh, specifically technology security. Yeah. Um, it was cool. It was great. But we're going to talk about kind of a different way to look at security today, physical security, personal security from the standpoint of martial arts. Um, so you've been in that world for a long time. Can you tell people just a little bit about 
you know, your martial arts background and, and where you're at today as a martial artist. Sure, sure. So I, I got thrown into martial arts when I was four. It was something my mom said, hey, you're going to go do this. And when you're four, you just kind of roll with the punches, right? And I studied karate, and I studied karate for, at that point, uh, about 14 years before I went off to college. Uh, I did some traditional Japanese, uh, mainland Japanese karate, uh, Kyokushin, for listeners that might know different styles. And went off to college, uh, trained in Shotokan, trained in Kabueta, uh, trained in a couple other things. Uh, got out, moved to Vermont, and I've trained in Taekwondo ever since. So I've got some other sprinkles of other stuff in there, some a little bit of Kung Fu, a little bit of Tai Chi. Yeah, I see a little in your your notes to me a little brilliant Brazilian jiu-jitsu too. Everybody's got to do a little bit about that. Right, right. Yeah, um, I'm not a, a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu like everybody likes to say now, but oh. uh, I don't quite have that nearly that much. No, <laughs> yeah, I, I better keep you standing up, or I'm in big trouble. If we get on the ground, I'm gonna. I, I just thing. I love though how everybody's a black belt and everything. It's kind of like everybody that was in the army was a ranger. Or... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Every SEAL was in SEAL Team 6. Every every Special Forces guy you meet in a bar was in, uh, with 7th Group. It's <laughs> well, you can go down to Walmart and buy a black belt. You know, It might have a buckle on it, but why not? <laughs> but but on, on a serious note, you actually feel that everyone should do some martial arts. What, what, what makes you feel that way? It's, you know, not everybody has to progress super far, but there are some, some skills, some attitudes that you're going to get from martial arts that you're not going to get from very much else. And anybody that's done martial arts knows what I'm talking about. You can do team sports and you can do individual sports, but there are a few things that are going to push you in ways that you're going to develop a certain attitude and skill set. Um, I work with children a fair amount in martial arts, and there are a few things that I see them picking up from martial arts, specifically confidence, self-esteem. Uh, that's something that my generation, you know, I'm, I'm I'm almost 34 and younger. We most of us don't have it. You know, you talk on the show a lot about this kind of sense of entitlement, the teacup generation. I think sure, and that's absolutely true. Well, they have self-esteem. They just don't have real self-esteem. They have unearned self-esteem. Right, right. They and self that self-esteem doesn't. You're right. It, they don't have the confidence to go with it. They have an expectation, and that's that's not reality. They have self-esteem until something doesn't go exactly as they planned it in the first three seconds. And then they just fall into a puddle and they don't know what to do. And I, I do think that martial arts is, is one definite way to put some of that back into our kids. Um, I think they also probably learn a lot of patience as well. I know when I was a kid and I took um, you know, my, my first uh, teacher that I had, I couldn't wait to test for my yellow belt. I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. And he, he basically, he's like, you know, you're not even going to be given the opportunity to do it, uh, not just with basic time uh, requirements, but until I think you have a reasonable expectation that you're going to pass. So that was something that had to, had to be earned and I had to wait for it. And there are a lot of schools that if you ask or even question when you might test, uh, my Taekwondo school now being one of them, you don't test. If you say, hey, when am I testing? You get kicked down the line. <laughs> you wait. You learn that patience. When it's your time, it'll be your time. Okay? Not all schools run that way, but uh, I've always found that to be interesting. Um, yeah. You know, I, I mentioned, you know, having the confidence in when things don't go right, you know, knowing what to do, being able to overcome that adversity, which, you know, we all go through that in life. We all have things that blow up on us. And everybody knows people that handle crisis well, and people know others that don't handle crisis well. 
And being able, being someone who can handle a crisis, whether it's a minor one, you know, like, hey, I'm on the ground and I'm bleeding, or, you know, I just got into a car accident, what do I do? Knowing what, how to respond mentally, physically, and, and maybe even more important, emotionally, is crucial. Now, one of the things that I see in your notes is uh, anticipation. What do you mean by that? Um, the ability to use all of your senses to get a good sense as to what's going to happen next. Um, most of us have had an experience driving, for an example, where, you know, you're watching a car acting a little bit funny and you go, you know what, I'm not going to make this turn so quickly. I'm going to back off and give this other guy some more space. And then whatever thing you were afraid was going to happen, happened, and you avoided an accident. Maybe you saved your life. Well, I've had that where your foot's already heading to the brake and there's no reason for it and you just know and, and, and you, if you hadn't done it, you know, you would have hit the idiot. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, we, depending on where you live, you might have that happen three times a day. Some people <laughs> might call that a sixth sense. Um, I, in that case, I wouldn't say it's that. I'd say it's, it's being aware, you know, anticipation, awareness, understanding your surroundings and taking in all of the input that you can. You're, you're, you know, seeing things in a different light. Because when you get kicked in the head, you learn not to get kicked in the head again. How, what do I have to do to not get kicked in the head? And you can extend that to outside of, of the martial arts school. I completely agree with that. Um, another thing you have is uh, we talked about patience. What about determination? Um, being able to set a goal and go after it. Um, you know, when we all deal with adversity, we all have stuff thrown at us that maybe isn't warm and fuzzy. Things that we don't want to do, but we have to do. Uh, it, it could be um, in a mark, you know, we'll use the example martial arts. In a martial arts testing, you're often pushed to uh, a point where maybe you're not comfortable. Maybe you're, you're asked to perform a task beyond a point where you are physically exhausted or mentally exhausted. And the ability to follow through and to keep doing what you have to do when you have to do it, because you're, you've given yourself no choice. I am going to achieve this goal. You know, you can easily take that out into the world. Um, you've started businesses. I've started businesses. That's one of the things when I consult with other entrepreneurs, I tell them, you're going to hit a point where this stuff gets super hard. You're going you're gonna to feel like the world is falling in on you, and you're going to have to keep going. And a lot of the people in your life aren't going to understand it. Well, one of the reasons I feel I've been able to start and succeed with multiple businesses is my martial arts background, the, the ability to say, you know what, this is my goal. I'm going to achieve this regardless of what roadblocks are placed in front of me. I agree with that because I think that every person that ever starts a business at some point during it is going to have a moment where they'll question their sanity for even doing such a thing. And they'll question everything about what they believed and why they did it in the first place. And the funny thing is, if they if you hit that and you go past it, the 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 success you're looking for is generally directly on the other side of that event. That's right. generally the like the runner's wall. That you know, once you get past that wall, you can coast to the end. 
Um, there's still a lot of endurance involved and all, but you, you, it was, it never seems like that a second time through. And I think in business, there's a lot of instances where people have been on the absolute cusp of success. I think in school as well. I think in a lot of things in life, people get to the cusp and there is that place that you have to break through and you don't, if you don't get past it, you never realize that it was going to get better. And I think things like martial arts, things like the military, there are moments like that built into them. So they will, you know, like you're talking during a test or during, you know, a run in the military, you think the finish line's there and then you just go right past it. And, and then, you know, people start dropping out and you're only running another 800 yards. But that gut check. And I think right. so many people in life never get the gut check. So when they get a real one, they just they fold. Right. What, one of my favorite sayings is, is it's always darkest before the dawn. And a lot of people hit that dark point and they go, it's dark. Well, at some point, it's going to have to get light. It's going to happen. Now, just keep pushing. Yeah, I agree. The next thing on your list is humility. And I think that nothing will teach you humility like having a sparring match with somebody who you were sure you were better than and finding out that they are not just better than you, but a lot better than you. Yeah, it's, you know, there are, there are a few opportunities to safely pit yourself against someone else. Um, that will teach you more than in martial arts. And, you know, I, I've done martial arts a long time. I'm, I'm pretty good at what I do. But there are plenty of people that I've worked with that have kicked my ass. And you know what? Not all of them were bigger than me, stronger than me, faster, or had been training longer. Sometimes you get a, a new white belt that will teach you a heck of a lot. Hey, I didn't even think that you would do that ridiculous thing and whoop me in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there are people that have a uh, a natural athletic ability, and anybody that says that's not true has never like watched an NBA game or the Olympics or played high school football. Because like when I played high school football, I did okay, but I had to work so hard just to stay, you know, in any kind of a level where I would get playtime. Uh, where there were other guys, and this wasn't that they worked hard; it's that they even made working hard look easy. And there are people with that natural ability, and you'll run into some of them. And that's why not all of the, not every martial artist gets the, the trophy at the end of the day, which is probably another good lesson for kids. Yep. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a good thing to know that no matter what you do, no matter how good you are, there is someone out there better than you. Maybe not at all of it, but at least part of it. Absolutely. And then respect, and that's something that our society could use a little bit more of. I'd say a heck of a lot more of, um, you know, there are a lot of jerks out there. And one of the things that, that pisses me off about the world as it is now is that lack of respect. And so being able to watch people learn respect, you know, again, it's usually, it's usually kids, you know, but unfortunately by the time somebody's adult age, they've, respect is kind of ingrained whether or not they have it. But in most martial arts schools, you're, you're calling your instructor by some, type of formal name, be it Sensei, mister. teacher, master, something. Yeah, there's usually something in there. Bow Not, hey, Jeremy. People. Right. <laughs> right. That's, you know, if, uh, if one of the kids calls me Jeremy, they're going to get some push-ups, you mm-hmm. know? Because um, it's just, it's a, diff- it's a different world. And, you know, going back to, you know, just a generation ago, you, you, you know, when, when I was growing up, I usually called my friend's parents Mr. and Mrs., and a generation before that, you definitely did. And now it's, 
you know, there's a, a familiarity that I think has gone a little bit too far. I think that one of the things that we could do a better job of, and this is, in, but you know, martial arts can help with this, but I think just as, as parents and older, uh, you know, the kind of the next generation raising these kids could do is explain to them what's in it for them uh, to do things like that. Because I know that when, you know, the rare occasion that my, my son had a friend who was a well-disciplined child and they came in my home and they called me sir or something like that, um, they immediately had leeway and opportunity within our household that others did not. Um, it wasn't just because that's what they're supposed to do. It's because when you respect somebody, they generally respect you back. And there's trust that comes with respect. If someone respects you, you've got the sense that they're going to respect the boundaries that you're setting out. Absolutely. Now, the next thing I have on your outline here is on trusting your instincts. And I couldn't agree with you more that there's a certain level of uh, a loss of our humanity that we've stopped trusting our instincts. Because that's part of normalcy bias. Your gut's telling you, go. And then you're like, no, it'll be okay. It's always okay. Um, and, and martial arts, I think, makes you trust your instincts because, well, in some parts of martial arts, if you don't trust your instincts, the next thing you get is popped in the head. Right. Right. If you've been training for, for a long time, you, you get these these moments where you flirt with uh, – in, in Japanese, it's called Satori. Uh, it's, it's this very relaxed, aware state where you're not even quite sure why you're moving the way that you're moving, but the way you're moving is perfect. And you generally, you can't get hit, and everything you throw is perfect. And it's, it's you know, at that point, you've kind of reached out, you've touched something it's a little bit outside yourself, and you know I'm not going to get into the the metaphysical piece of it because that's something that's really personal, and everybody's going to look at that differently. You can call it a sixth sense. You can say that you're just being hyper aware, but we've all had that that gut feeling that I should not do this, mm-hmm. and if you don't trust it, you go, well, shit, I should have trusted it. So learning how to trust that gut instinct will make you better at. Everything you do, it'll make you a better shooter, it will make you a better martial artist, it'll make you a better driver, it'll make you a better parent. I think that level you're talking about is definitely true in martial arts. I think it transcends into a lot of skills, though, and I think everybody has probably had some encounter with it. I've I've had it playing darts. You know, you have this this 15-minute period where the bullseye looks the size of a fist, and you you can drop a dart in anywhere you want. I've had it shooting. Where you know you can shoot offhand at a hundred yards as though you're on a bench. The interesting thing is, it doesn't ever seem to last. And then there's this quest to regain it. And I think that's part of the drive and determination that gets into anybody that that gets really proficient at anything because you have those moments where you touch it, and then you want you wonder why. Well, why can't I just do that all the time? Right. And. You know, you're right. It, that happens in, in a lot of other sports. You hear about baseball players talking about the ball seeming the size of a softball or basketball players where the hoop feels like it's 30 feet wide and they just they can't miss. Everything they do is perfect. But then they get to a place where they're they start thinking about it mm. and they, they're overthinking and they lose it. And I would argue that one of the ways that you can reach that is by being relaxed. Um, pool is actually the spot that I think most people have probably experienced something like this. They get about two, most people, it's about two beers in, and they're not drunk, but they've had just enough that they start to relax, and holy crap, those balls are falling. You're not really doing anything differently. You're just, you're relaxed. You're allowing the ball to go into the hole. The pocket, sorry. 
Yeah, I would say pool and darts are the and the, it is no coincidence that those happen to be things that you might occasionally do at a place where adult beverages are served. Yep. And it, you know, if you drink four or five, that goes away. But like yep. you said, one or two in that that relaxation. And I'm, we're not saying, hey, go out and have a couple beers and then go do martial arts. We're just saying that there is a certain amount of by disengaging the the thinking brain and allowing the 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 muscle memory to take over. There is this state that you can reach, and you know, like you said, when you start thinking about it, it usually goes away. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You also have spending time in nature can help too with instincts. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, there's so much, there's so much going on out in the wilderness, and you know, nature is all relative. If you live in a major metro area, going to a quiet park might be nature for you. For me, nature is being on top of a mountain, surrounded by nothing. Um. And just taking some time and, and being, you know, yeah, you can listen, you can look, you can you can smell, you can touch. But, you know, when you're out there, when there's nothing else going on, when you put your phone away, when you're not talking to other people, when you're not reading a book and you're just kind of existing, you can start to experience what's really going on. You can kind of feel it out. And over time, that that'll condition you uh hunters do a pretty good job of this you know if if i know you're a hunter you know mm-hmm. when you're out there and all of a sudden those birds start chirping and that deer's out of there you know because they knew you were there well you you can start reading you know what the animals are doing and it's it's that same skill set I mean, when you're when you're bow hunting in that situation and you're at a point where you're trying to get the bow up and get the bow drawn without being busted um at that point you will hear your own heartbeat as though you have a, a stethoscope in your ears and the the other end of it on your chest. Yeah. Um, you'll feel the, the hairs on your arm if the wind shifts. It's and I, I think that if, if you want to get in touch with that, you know, this is kind of off the subject. But if you want to get in touch with that as a hunter, you can't do it with a gun. Um, not to the level you will with a bow. The bow changes everything about becoming a predator and, and having uh, a stake in, uh, in nature. And I think if somebody wants to really get in touch with that, that the bow is one way to do that. Yeah, a, a bow, bow hunting is a lot more primal, you know, and I'm not, you know, by all means, I'm not, not knocking anybody that hunts. Hunting is, is not easy if it was, you know, it would... You'd call it call killing. It. Right. <laughs> uh, but to get out there and, with a bow and experience what you're talking about that, that moment, that pressure, knowing that it is all you, you know, you can, you can spend a heck of a lot of money on a gun or you can spend a heck of a lot of money on a bow, but taking down that animal with a bow is going to be a lot harder. It's all on you. Well, there's a lot of things that can go wrong, uh, on things that can go wrong. A lot of people come to martial arts, especially children. I find they've been bullied, they've been picked on and they want to learn how to fight. Right. And I've always felt that, you know, the 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 best way to win a fight is not to fight. Absolutely. So I think any good martial arts training should be this is this is your last resort, and this is so you know you can do it. And as soon as you know you can deal with it, you're less likely to feel the need to prove it. So now we can talk about avoidance. So what are some of your thoughts on avoidance in the first place? Sure. Um, just to give you a little bit of feedback uh, before we jump in there, I've never been in a, in what I, anything that I would call a fight. I've always managed to avoid it. Um, I'm small. I'm 5'7". 
for the longest time, I was under 130 pounds, and I was the nerdiest kid in school. So you better believe I got picked on a heck of a lot. And people knew I did martial arts, you know, so there would be those challenges too. But I always managed to find a way around the fight. And I'm really proud of that. Um, if I was to get into a fight, I would win. I have no doubt of that because I'm not going to stop. You know, that kind of goes back to some of the things that we talked about earlier. But at, at heart, I'm a, I'm a pacifist. You know, I don't want to fight with anybody. So we can talk about some of the ways that I've come up with and I've learned that you can avoid, avoid a fight. Uh, the first one uh, is to avoid dangerous situations. Um, there's a gentleman that you have on that, how does he put it, don't go to stupid places. Frank Sharp, Frank don't Sharp. go to stupid places with stupid people and do stupid things. Yeah, and that's <laughs> got to be 90% of it. That should be on the wall of every dojo in America. That should just be right up there with Pilsong or something, you know? I mean, yeah, just don't do that. Put it in uh, Korean characters or something in a Taekwondo studio. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, if, if you know people that keep getting into fights, I almost guarantee you they're violating that rule. They're going and, to stupid places with stupid people and behaving stupidly. It's 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 you know it because how many people are there like you that have never been in a fight that that tells you it's doable yeah absolutely um you know and there there are plenty of people that you know maybe they maybe they didn't quite know what was going to go down when they went to such and such a place maybe that bar was usually a good bar but i'll almost guarantee that the that the people going into that bar that got into that altercation had something going on in their gut. They had a feeling that they ignored. I can't say it's every time because not everybody's as in touch with listening to their instincts, but there's usually some kind of sign if you look for it. And they usually see it in, in retrospect. Yes. Yes. With, I, without should, a, I should have known because, yeah. Yeah, that guy was in the corner and he was making faces at me, you know, or, you know, there was... There, there was a... a football game on and there were there were you know you're in the hometown of the home team but there were three or four people that happened to be in town rooting for the visiting team and they were getting rowdy yeah and you could sense yeah. the rumblings you know well, get that. and then people that really should know better but they let bravado get in the way when i did my last show on martial arts and i talked about i don't know if you heard that but a marine that i went through airborne school with that was almost killed by a, a group of guys that jumped him and how he survived that and the yep. lessons we can learn from that. Somebody sent me a link to a YouTube video, and I don't remember the fighter's name, but he's an MMA guy. Looks like he's probably like a middleweight fighter. Looks like he's in great shape. He calls himself the California Kid, uh, if that rings anybody's bells. But he was in Bali in a bar alone. None of his boys are there with him or anything. And someone kind of gets tough. And I guess they probably know who he is. He's over there as a fighter for some kind of tournament or something. And, you know, he says, the one guy gave me the universal sign, you know, let's go outside. Of course he does. Yeah. Okay, if you're alone in a bar in Bali, <laughs> well, first off, you're screwed don't up. Don't do that. You shouldn't be there in the first place. But if you're there and somebody gives you the universal sign for let's go outside, that would be a good time to not go outside with them. That that is that is the best time to not go outside right then and there. Because um, he ended up with about twelve people trying to beat him down, and and his eventual tactic that was what really saved his life, other than you know he was able to defend himself as best he could, was to run the hell away. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it, it's a little bit of a tangent, but that that's that was a great episode, and the gentleman that you had on really knew his stuff. And for listeners, if you haven't listened to that episode, I'd strongly encourage you 
to go back and find it. It was, what was that, not even a month ago, somewhere yeah, around there? Yeah, the one you're talking about, yeah. And I did a, sh- a follow-up show that I'm talking about where I brought the mer- story of the Marine and, and yep. what happened there. And I won't rehash it. People can go listen. I'll put links to both of those episodes in today's show notes. Um, I do think you're right. I think that was a great show. And it's part of why I had you on to kind of expand on the whole concept here. Um, your next thing on your notes is be aware and pay attention. Yeah, it's, you know, use your senses. God gave you five, arguably six senses. Use them. Use them all. Um, I, I, I don't know how else to put it. If, if you're, if you're, when you're home and you've got the doors locked and you've got, maybe you've got a weapon nearby and there's nobody around that you're not married to, related to, you can let your guard down. If you're anywhere else, you've got to have at least some level of defensiveness and awareness going on. If you're at a bar, you're at a restaurant, you're surrounded by people that you don't know, you need to pay attention. And if you don't, I'm not going to go so far as to say you deserve what happens, but you need to take a little bit of responsibility for that which happens. Sure. Sure, I, I completely agree with that. And, I mean, it's just, if you, if you want to win a fight, don't fight. And part of that is to know when the fight's coming. Um, you also have disarm the situation, talk people down. Yeah, it's, you know, that that's probably my, my second best tactic. You know, I, I've had, the reason I haven't been in a fight is not because people have not tried to fight me. <laughs> I've had more than enough, uh, let's call them opportunities, to test my skill and you know, what's the point? What, you know, somebody comes up to me, hey, you know, you know, and they're, they're, they've had drinks or, you know, whatever's going on. Well, why do you want to fight me? What's that going to prove, buddy? Come on, you know, just, just leave me alone. I'm having a good time. You're having a good time here. Let me buy you a drink. And that, that stuff usually works. You know, if you're not giving somebody something to overcome, if you're, if you're the guy in Bali that, that is being invited outside... Well, don't don't you don't have to accept the invitation. You don't have to say I'm not going to fight you because I would kick your ass. You can say I'm, I'm having I'm having a drink. Come have a drink with me. There's no reason we have to fight. Sure, sure. It does disarm people. I think that that's it's not just the situation. It disarms the opponent because the natural expectation from someone that's behaving aggressively is aggression in return. Right, and, and right. they almost don't know how to process a return that's not aggressive. Right, and this is the concept, if, if you've done martial arts or most people have seen it on a poster or something, of, of yin and yang, meeting force with something more gentle. Somebody's coming at me trying to pick a fight, and I'm just deflecting, and I'm saying, no, we don't need to do that. Let's, you know, here, what, what's your poison? Let me buy you a beer. Sure, and even if you're going to have to fight, I still think that's a better tactic. It's a large part of what we learn in Sistema, uh, that... If you if you are being aggressive toward me and I respond with body language that's aggressive, the shoulders come up. There's a natural even a person that's not a martial artist. There's a certain stance that people go into when they're going to fight, when they're going to confront you. Now you, I've heightened the situation and you're reciprocating and you're prepared for me to hit you. And even if you're in a situation where look, the, the aggressor is going to attack you, you've determined that and you know you're going to have to strike at some point. Being completely non-aggressive right up until the point where that happens puts them in a mindset where they become more vulnerable because they think, oh, this guy's a pushover. Right. And this will right. be easy. And that, I mean, that's what I really, if I'm in a fight with somebody, I want them to think in their mind, this is going to be easy. 
that this this is going to be a walk in the park. There's no way this guy's even got any clue what he's doing. And you know, and if you're still going to attack a person after you feel that way about them, because now you know you have the advantage, you deserve what you get when you find out it's not true. That's right. Um, and that's the person to be afraid of, too, by the way. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, going back to what I said before, you know, there's always somebody better than you, and everybody's going to be able to kick your ass on, on, you know, a good day. Sure. You know, everybody's going to have that day where, oh, I didn't see that coming. Well, absolutely, and that's that's why a lot of this stuff doesn't solve anything, because if I, if I get in a fight with you and I win today, that doesn't mean that some guy can't walk up 10 minutes later and, and, and beat me, and that doesn't mean that somebody can't walk up and beat him, and, and that's going to stay true until you start getting up to the, you know, the 1% at the top. And, and, unless you, and, and the people in that realm, they never start trouble with anybody. Right. No, they don't need to. They have nothing they to do. They don't need to. Um, also, walking away is, 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 you know, you tell kids that, and it's sometimes it's easier said than done, but there are opportunities for it. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes there are situations where you shouldn't walk away. And, you know, by walking away, I don't necessarily mean turn around, expose your back, and walk sure. away. I mean, you know, walking away can be very figurative. Um, having the confidence and the, the self-esteem to not have to prove yourself in a fight. To say, you know what, it's getting a little hot in here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Not that's not always gonna work. You know, and and maybe I should should have started with this. None of these uh, tactics that we're talking about will work in every situation. Sure. And part of martial arts training is knowing when to use which one. And sometimes you got to try different ones. You try one, it doesn't work. You try another one, you keep going until something happens. And hopefully the very last resort is physical violence. Absolutely. And I think part of what people need to understand in all of this is how dangerous a situation can become, how quickly. Because you can be in a situation with somebody that's being aggressive, and you can look at that person and assess them and decide, I can take this person, and you might even be right, and you might even be able to do it relatively easily. There is no guarantee that aggressive person is alone. And as soon as you allow that altercation to escalate, um, situations can go from a simple fight to being deadly very, very quickly, which is part of why I am no fan of anybody taking a, a real-world fight to the ground because it makes you so vulnerable to anybody else. But we've done trainings where we've put people that – you bring big guys in that have this bar bruiser mentality. You put them into a situation. You let them start engaging with each other. You tell them, play it up a little bit. And, and, and two seconds later, both of them have a chalk line across their kidneys – from a dummy knife that somebody just walked up and swiped him with. Right. And, and both of them stand there with no understanding that that was even a risk. And, and a lot of times it opens up the mind of the person that thinks they're really strong and really tough to the fact that, you know, uh, you could be a six foot two lineman and, you know, a 113 pound gang banger can put a knife in your ribs while you're engaging with his buddy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an e surprise is an equalizer. Yeah, that's an understatement. So walk away when we can, and if we can't get that to work, maybe we try using humor. Yeah, and you know, I don't mean humor at at this person's expense. You know, you never want to say, well, you know, you could kick my ass, but um, you're ugly. You know, I mean, yeah, I'm not talking yeah. about that. You know, I'm talking about genuine humor. Like, here's one that I would use. Uh, knock knock. Who's there? Interrupting cow. Interrupting cow. Ooh. Who? 
it's really hard to be angry and aggressive when you're laughing. Yeah, and it is. You know, imagine a situation in a bar where some big guy, some 6'3", 220 guy, has decided that I looked at his girlfriend or something, and he's trying to start something, and he's picking the fight with me, and I tell him a knock-knock joke. Sure. Now, he's not going to bust out laughing. No. Probably not. But it's going to throw him for such a loop that he's going to wonder, what, what the hell is this? What is this guy doing? He's got, there's, you've got a good chance that he's going to walk away from you and go, I'm not wasting my time with this guy. I don't know what the hell is going to happen. But this is, we, I'm, you know, I've picked fights with a lot of little guys in bars, and none of them told me a knock-knock knock joke. joke. I'm out of here. Yeah. Yeah, something's wrong here. Yep. Uh, and if you're in a right to carry state, that might start the mind going, too. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, and then the next thing you have is use humility. Yeah. Um, if you have the self-confidence to know that you are a good person, you could say something like, why are you going to kick my ass? What is that? What is that proof? I'm look at me. Look at you. Why yeah. would this even be a challenge? Like, what, what, what is it proof for you to go beat me up? I'm, I'm like, I'm, you've practically already beaten me up. Look at me. Yeah. And to have the confidence to do that, especially if there are other people around. Yeah. Nobody wants to look like a bully in a, in a large public area. So, I think it's like we used to say in school, the, the worst fight in the world you could ever have as a boy would have been a fight with a girl. Yeah. If you lose, if you win, you lose. And if you lose, you really lose. Right. So in that There's no win. Yeah. Turn yourself into that, that, figuratively speaking, of course, turn yourself into that girl. Make yourself so overly vulnerable that, you know, the worst case is this person has now grossly underestimated you and you've Correct. got a chance. Correct. And I mean, that's why I say a lot of these tactics are I'd like to avoid the fight, but if I'm not going to, I'm still improving my uh, ability to to win the fight if it if it has to be. Right. And then you have to be crazy. <laughs> you know, nobody wants to go get Shemp the... on somebody. Remember Shemp from the Three Stooges or Curly? Yeah. You know, <laughs> start acting like a monkey. Start making weird noises. Do your best impression of someone that needs severe psychiatric help. <laughs> the, again, the person that is aggressing is not going to know what to expect. And when, pe you know, if someone's going to come at you, they generally have an idea how this is going to go. I'm bigger than them. I'm stronger than them. I have some sort of significant advantage because when when people be, start an alter, altercation, when they are the aggressor, they have reasonable confidence that they're going to win this fight. Bullies don't think they're going to lose. You yeah, know, no, think no they, nation has ever been attacked because it was presumed to be too strong. Ronald Reagan. Right. It's it, it's a truism. Yeah, for sure. And. And if you know if you seem to be bigger or stronger than that one person, they're going to get five of their buddies. There's, sure. there's always going to be some something that puts them into the advantage. So if you start making them question their advantage by by forcing them to redefine what the parameters of this fight might be, i.e., you're crazy, start making monkey noises, you drop to the ground and bark like a dog, you might lose a little bit of face, but you might save your face. I guess. I think that's going to go into one of the last resort uh, ones. It, but It's why it's it's the second to last one on my list. It's not where I would start. But if, you st <laughs> if, if your other ones aren't working, if you can't get away, if you can't talk them down, if they're not responding to your knock-knock jokes, and they still want to kick your butt after you've pointed out how small and pathetic you are, well, 
barking like a dog might be better than getting your face knocked in. And what about being gross? <laughs> so this is kind of taking the whole idea of being crazy and going even farther. If somebody's now, I mean, I'm going to get tiny bit graphic. If somebody's really picking on you and you dig in your nose and you pull out some snot <laughs> or if that's not going to work, you know, pardon me, you reach in the back of your shorts and you make it look like you're digging in your ass. <laughs> Who wants to pick a fight with that guy? You can always go wash your hands. Yeah, I can see it. I don't know if it would. I don't know if I would go there, but I can see where it might work. Uh, it's again, it's not some place anybody's going to want to go. But I would rather have snot or crap on my hands than blood. I can understand the the sentiment certainly there. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about martial arts weapons. Sure. Uh, you say the best martial art weapon to learn is the staff. It is. Um, you know, I've I've worked with pretty much anything under the sun over my martial arts career. But in most schools, the one you start with is the staff, sometimes called a bow. And there's a good reason for that. You can find one just about anywhere. A bow could be a pool cue or a broom or a branch or a shovel. There's almost always some kind of long stick that you can use. And it's also really hard to hurt yourself. If uh, you ever use nunchaku nunchucks? Oh yeah, absolutely. That was actually my my weapon of choice. When you were learning, did you smack yourself in the back of the head? Uh, a few times, not not too much. I had a pretty good instructor. Um, when I first started smacking myself with chucks, was um, I worked with a guy that really believed if you're going to use something like as a weapon, you should know how to use it as a weapon, even if you never actually do. So when we started hitting a heavy bag with nunchucks, yeah, you, you end up with a bruised forearm pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's If you're using a bow and you smack yourself in the head, you, you were probably trying to do it. Like, it, it's, it's kind of hard yeah. to do that. So that's why I think it's a great weapon for everybody to learn. There's only one part. It doesn't move. And, you know, anybody that learns the basics with a bow, I mean, you can, you can learn how to use a bow um, – on a, on a fundamental level, in just a few hours. You're not going to be an expert, but knowing how to relate to that weapon is pretty simple to do, especially when you compare it to weapons that you hold in individual hands, like Sai or Kama, uh, or you know something else with a blade, like a sword. And more importantly, you're not going to find those in nature or in an urban setting. Nor is it going to be um, acceptable to walk around with them. Um, there's a big belief that, that, that chucks are illegal in, in many states. And it's not that, that, that nunchucks are illegal in many states. It's that they fall under the category of something called an illegal club. Mm. Uh, so there's many types of clubs that go in there. They just happen to be one of them. So that means that you won't be walking down the street with your, your Bruce Lee chucks, right? I mean, you just won't be doing that. Um, a, a, st a staff is basically just that. It's a staff. Uh, those skills also translate really quickly to using a walking cane as a, a weapon. Sure. And when we look at the history of why the staff was, you know, ch chosen as a weapon is because you look at the societies that a lot of these arts come from. And for instance, in Japan, uh, during the Edo period, uh, you were not permitted to have or carry a sword unless you were the samurai class. Right. 
But you could have your rice flail, and there's your chucks. You could have your your walking staff, and then there's your bow. Uh, you could have the pins for your ox cart, and there's your sigh. And there's something to be learned from that, you know, translation of everyday implements into weapons and something that still works that way because, you know, there's not a lot of ox carts out there. I don't know if you've seen many of them, but I haven't. And I don't see a lot of people flailing rice with a club with a chain on it anymore either. But, you know, I do see quite a few people that need to kind of get around with a little extra assistance from a cane or a staff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, nobody's going to question you bringing a a walking stick or a staff. And you've actually had a couple guests on the show in the past that – have brought up the the notion that you can bring this on a plane. Sure. That if you are even questioned, it's a violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Yeah, and that's that's what Frank Sharp says. If you ever are using a walking staff in an airport, and uh, they, the TSA says anything, your first question would be, "Are you discriminating against me?" Yep. And and that pretty much does away with that immediately. Yeah. So there you go. You've got a weapon that you can use anywhere that no one's going to. Legally, they cannot question, but maybe more importantly, and this is why, you know, when I carry, I carry concealed, not because I'm trying to hide the fact that I have a weapon, but because when other people see you with a weapon, they start to act a little bit differently. You're walking around with a a staff or a stick, people are going to go, oh, that guy's got a bum leg. Yeah, They're not going to treat you any differently. And, And, well, here's the other thing. So the person that's going to attack you, that generally the way this works is there's a victim assessment. And there's the person that will do the victim assessment and go, no. But then there's the person that will do the victim assessment of it's not whether or not this person fits the model of a victim. I've already decided this person's a victim. I want to decide now how to make this person a victim. So if I'm looking at you and you're in an open carry state, which I'm all for open carry from a a constitutional standpoint, but I look and there's your Glock 19 at your side, and I have my four dudes that we're going to take you out, Um, I'm going to do this in a way that that gun is not going to help you right? because I know it's there. If I don't know it's there, and I don't expect that it's there, I'm actually a lot more likely to give you the opportunity to use it to defend yourself. Yes. Yeah, you want to, you know, in any self-defense situation, you want to preserve your advantages. And one of the easiest ways to preserve them is to keep them hidden. Completely agree. So you also agree with, I don't remember who the guy was I had on about martial arts, and I'm blanking on his name, and I feel bad about it because he was he was great. Yeah. But you pretty much have the same philosophy when it comes to choosing an art that he did, which is don't choose the art, choose the instructor. Absolutely. I, I see this all the time, and it drives me nuts. People come up to me, I want to learn ninjutsu. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, how many ninjutsu instructors are in your near area? Well, there's just one. And how do you know he's a good instructor? You've got nothing to compare to. You've set your mind on, I want to learn ninjutsu. When, you know what, down the street, maybe they don't advertise that they teach ninjutsu, but you've got an amazing karate instructor who would teach you ten times more. So I always advocate shopping around, visit the classes, see what's going on. Talk to the instructors, talk to the students. Um, if you're looking for a school for your children, look at the other children in that school that have achieved high rank. Do those children model behavior that you want your kids to have? If they don't, then do not put your kids in that school. I don't care. Because they'll become that. Right. They'll become exactly that. That's, what, that's how they got that way. 
I don't care if that school is closer to work and more convenient. I don't care if it's $10 less per month. That's not how you shop for a martial arts school. So some of the uh, and and you know there are exceptions to every rule. You know the the, the things that I'm going to go over here, they're not a hundred percent. But you know I've been I've been doing this for a while. I've trained in a lot of different schools. I've met a ton of different martial arts instructors, and they hold true ninety nine percent of the time. Avoid schools that are just about money. If you, I, I remember one place that I I trained for a short while and I went in and you know they were trying to get me to sign up while I was visiting and, and hanging out and watching the class and I said no you know I'm going to watch and I want to come in and then I want to do a class and if that works out then I'll give you some money Sure. and they say yeah yeah sure so I walk in the next time and I, I've got my uniform and I'm, I'm ready to, to work out with these guys and they're like uh, do you have your checkbook and I'm like you're not going to let me do a class first yeah. Well, all right. I guess we can do that. Well, you know what? That school didn't work out for me. There sure. were other reasons, but it was very clear that this school was just about money. On the flip side, the best instructors I have known, with very few exceptions, have taught martial arts as a part-time job. Because it is very difficult to teach martial arts as your career and keep complete integrity. There's just there's a temptation there. And I, I you know, I'm sure there are some martial arts instructors out there and you know, if if this doesn't describe you, if teaching is your full time job and, and you have integrity, I'm not talking about you. Again, you know, there are acceptance. I'm thinking of, of one right now, blows the doors off of this rule. Okay. I the, the the very first teacher that I had is still in business today and I would put him in that category as well. As a full time business, that's what he does. But, you know, is also a guy that's, 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 you know, done a lot with adjuncts into the business, selling martial arts supplies, uh, video production, uh, you know, working with, and has, uh, uh, runs, uh, you know, uh, full contact fights for a, a local. So it's, it's a much broader business. And I think that the main reason he probably did that was so that he could preserve that integrity. Because when you're not going to eat tomorrow, if you don't get two new people this week signed up, you will do things in a survival instinct that you normally wouldn't do. Right. Right. And it's, you know, it's human nature. It doesn't make you a bad person. But I've seen plenty of instructors that go, you know what? Things are a little tight right now. I think I'm going to promote Joe, Bobby, and Sue here because I can collect testing fees. Mm. Okay. Mm. Um, try before you buy. Check out a class. If they're not willing to take you through one class for free they're probably trying to get you to sign up for something long-term, and that's really a shame. You know, everybody deserves the opportunity to see if there's a fit, because everybody's looking for something different. And just because an instructor and a student don't mesh doesn't is not a judgment call of either one. They just might not click. Okay. You have watch instructors with children, and I think that's important if you're putting... Kid, your kids into a class with them. I think that's also important even if you're looking for somebody for yourself. The way that they work with children is going to tell you a lot about who they are. Absolutely, with, without a doubt. A good instructor is not just a good martial arts instructor. They're a good person. And you can usually tell what kind of a person someone is by the way they interact with children. Uh, children, especially in a martial arts setting, can be incredibly challenging. Any 
Any parent out there that's got one, two, three, four kids knows how challenging that can be. Well, imagine that you've got 18 or 20, and you're not only are you trying to get them to not go off and do their own thing, trying to keep them focused, but you're trying to get them to pay attention and learn. That's horrendously challenging. It's not something I, – I am not great teaching children. I'm good. But my instructor, for example, is phenomenal at teaching children. He is the best I've ever met. But, and he's also one of the be- nicest people I've ever met. He's a fantastic man. And if I think about the instructors that were not so great at teaching me, they were not so great at teaching children. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd also put it this way. I don't think I would be very good at teaching children, specifically young children. I think if you bring me 11, 12-year-old kids that want to learn something, I can do a really great job with them. You bring me a bunch of eight-year-olds, and I can't handle that. But what I'm looking for in an instructor is somebody that has something I don't. Right, yes. so that's that's clearly the, I don't you know I don't know exactly what it is that makes a person able to tolerate eighteen eight year old kids. I I really don't because I can't do it. Eh, a little bit of insanity, I think. But there's something in there special that I want to learn from. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then you also have, does the instructor ask you questions? I think that's incredibly important because that means they are concerned with what your goals are, and they want to know as much are you a good fit for me as is am I a good fit for you? Right, you know it's. Anybody that's been in business, you know, you've been in business, I'm in business, you know, I'll I'll relate this back to my my day job uh, as a technology consultant. I've had some clients that didn't fit with with what we do, with our approach. Doesn't make them bad people. And, you know, we just we just parted ways. It's like, you know what, this this isn't jiving here. You know, why don't you go down to so and so? I think that their approach is is just a little bit different from us, and I think it'll work for you. And a good martial arts instructor is going to say the same thing. Uh, you know what? It sounds like you're looking for something that is, let's say, you're at a traditional karate dojo, and what you're looking for is a little bit more mixed martial arts. A bad instructor is going to try and swing you over to what they want. Sure. Good instructor is going to say, well, that's not quite what we do here. Here are the advantages of what we do, and if that's still not what you want, if you don't want to give it a shot, they're going to say, well, you know what, here's a phone number, or I know so-and-so that teaches some MMA stuff a couple towns over, why don't you give them a call? You know, it's good business, but it's also being a good person and recognizing that you can't be everything to everybody. Well, and teaching's challenging enough that I don't want a student that doesn't want to learn what I'm teaching. Right. I I really don't have time for that. And that's not just martial arts. I mean... If if I was running, let's say, a, a permaculture workshop here at my place and somebody came out and said, well, I want to learn how to uh, plant corn in rows, then you don't want to be here. Right. And, and it's not that I don't see that there's any value in that. It's just that's not what we do here, like you were saying before. Or if I have someone that I'm trying to teach um, how to shoot a rifle uh, and I'm running a clinic on, on, on sporting rifle for, for hunting and knocking squirrels out of trees – and they start telling me about all these great tactical stances, that's fine. I understand that, but that's that doesn't apply when you're on a 40-degree pitch and you're trying to knock a squirrel out of an oak tree 40 yards away. So you, as a teacher, no matter what you're teaching, you're looking for students that want to learn what you're teaching, not students you have to sell on it. Right. Yeah. So... From a self-defense standpoint, you also even have some stuff here about using clothing as part of your EDC. Yeah, you know, when you leave the house, the one thing you always have is your clothes, unless you are a nudist. 
<laughs> so to go outside and to, to have some attention towards what you're wearing, I think, is really important. There are a lot of people that don't tend to dress for the weather. You know, I, I live up here in Vermont. It gets cold in winter. And there are a lot of people that warm up their car with their car starter and they jump in wearing a sweater when it's 20 degrees or, you know, heck, even even less. You know, we get some 30 below days up here. And God forbid you get into an accident, your car skids off the road, something happens. Well, now you're not prepared. So I strongly encourage people when they're going out for the day to prepare for the weather at that moment and throughout the day. And that might mean bringing some extra clothes and some different clothes. Okay. And you have think about pockets. Yeah, what, what do you have on you? You know, um, I carry a, a number of things. I, I carry a lighter. I'm not a smoker. I have a lighter. And I can't tell you how often that comes in handy. I've also got a couple other uh, self-defense-related things in my pockets at all times. I carry some pepper spray. I carry a, a pocket knife. Sometimes I carry a coubaton. Uh, you know, what I've got in my pockets, you know, again, what if, what if I get carjacked? What if I, for whatever reason, I have to leave work, I have to leave my car? Those things in my pockets could be the only things that I have on me for a period of time. So having some intention with what you're carrying in your pockets makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and you also have accessories, belt and hat. I mean, that's interesting because I almost go nowhere without a ball cap style hat. And all of those have kind of a liner that runs around the, the rim, and there's always unique things that I might find uh, carried there. And with belts, uh, I tend to wear belts that are like the uh, old-style money belts yep. that have a compartment within them. And then they have additional uses in and of themselves. A, a belt is a long strap. Yeah, you can use belt for all kinds of things. It can become a tourniquet. It can become a weapon. You, If you've got a belt on right now, I don't care what kind of belt it is, uh, Swing it buckle end out at, at somebody, and you tell me that it's not going to hurt. Uh, especially, you know, as guys, we don't get a lot of opportunities for accessories that yeah. look funny. You know, a woman can carry a purse. A woman can carry a huge old purse and carry a lot of stuff in it that could be really handy. Guys, we don't really get to do that without, well, some of us do, and, you know, if that's what you do, that's cool. I don't. I wear a belt. I wear a hat. And, you know, there are a lot of things that I can tuck in there or do with those two items absolutely um upgrade your clothing better quality better materials yeah if if the extent of your clothing are you know poor quality materials clothing that doesn't fit you're limiting your range of motion generally and you're going to be wearing your clothes out so you know if you've got the, the self-defense aspect in having clothes that fit well and then you've also got the more kind of prepper side of it where if you've got crap clothes, they're not going to last. And, sure. you know, let's, you know, let's take it to the extreme. Grid down. You're not able to go to the store. Well, if you're used to buying new underwear every three to four months, and we're talking six months with the grid down, well, I don't know about you, but, you know, I don't want to wear underwear with holes in it. That's not comfy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next up, you've got um, wear shoes that fit. Yeah. Um, not just shoes that fit, but shoes that make sense. And this tends to, to be an avenue that, that uh, women drive me nuts with. Yes. Uh, <laughs> high heels. You know what? High heels have their place if you're at a formal event. That's great. But if, you're, if you are wearing shoes that you cannot run a short distance in, you should not wear those the majority of the time. Um, if you're 
And I would say try it. You know, if you've got a pair of shoes that you generally wear, you go run a quarter mile or, you know, even a jog. You go run it in whatever shoes you're wearing. And if those shoes do not work for you, get rid of them. Yeah, one of the things that bothers me is a lot of the with the women of the strappy sandals and uh, flip-flop styles and stuff like that. And there's a place for all kinds of stuff like that, like you said, even with the high heels. But, you know, my wife drives me crazy. She'll be out in the garden with a shovel and she's wearing a pair of flip-flops. And you're just thinking, you're you're one bad bad blow from losing a toe. Yeah. Uh, and that's one thing. But when you're in, like, we just look at what just happened in, in Boston. Um, and you've got people running and, and things like that. If you're out in a crowded situation and there's a panic and you need to get the hell out of the way, even if you're not directly affected, but you're the big danger in those situations is always being stampeded by the crowd and you're wearing strappy shoes. Yep. Um, you're in a vulnerable situation for no good reason. Right. And I'm yeah. sure somebody's going to email me about how fashion is a good reason, but you know what? I don't know that I have that many listeners that think that way. <laughs> You know what, there's, I've got a couple pairs of shoes that are not the most comfortable thing in the world, and sometimes I've got to go somewhere and wear a suit, and you know what, I can't wear my sneakers with that suit for professional reasons. That's fine, but doesn't mean I can't wear a pair of sneakers with the suit in the car and change when I get there. Yeah. Then you have Get Creative, and you have a review of something called the Kuba Kicks, and I, I didn't really look your outline completely over before the show. I just noticed that now. Now, that's something I actually found a couple weeks ago, and I was thinking of ordering a couple of those. They seem kind of cool. Could you talk about those, sure. and what are your thoughts on them, Mark? Sure. This, this is a good example of getting creative. The Kuba Kicks is a product that I always try and get my Taekwondo instructor something unique for for Christmas. You know, everybody buys them pretty standard stuff, so I always try and find them something neat. The Kuba Kicks is a piece of hard plastic with, uh, I think it's three spikes on the top, and these spikes are probably about an inch and a half, two inches high, and you put it on the tongue of your shoe and run your laces over it, and now you have spikes on top of your shoe. And they're, you know, it's made of plastic. It's not bladed or anything. It's, as far as I know, completely legal under all laws, but I'll tell you what, if I kick you in the in the calf or the shin with this thing, if I have to, you are gonna you're, you're gonna be hurting. You're gonna be a hurting puppy. And especially for people that don't have martial arts experience, this is a fantastic way to increase the effectiveness of a pretty simple low kick. Yeah, absolutely. I think anybody can learn to do that pretty quick. And uh, I, I don't know anybody that doesn't think a kick in the shins makes an impression has never played soccer and been kicked in the shins. Yeah. Um, and then with something like that, it looks – so you've, you've kind of played around. So I didn't even get to read your review. You're saying it's, it's, just, it's as functional as it appears to be. Yeah, and what I love about it is I've got a pair of black boots, all black boots, and I've got a, one of these units that's black. And I've been – you know, I wore those boots with that device for three months over the winter, and not a single person noticed it. Wow. Because that was my concern. They kind of show up a bit, you know. You know, um, unless you're wearing really tight pants, which kind of violates earlier rules, sure, uh, your pants are going to hang over this when you're standing okay. up. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. You know, and there's, there's other stuff you can do. You know, the key is is how else can I carry things on me that give me that advantage that you're you're always looking to have and to hide. Well, the one I talked about last time we had a conversation like this with a guest is called the Sap Cap. Yep, and it's a black leather ball cap with uh, birdshot sewn into the into the top of it. And it's a very tough bill, and it effectively works like a blackjack. And and I guarantee you, unless you know exactly what one is, 
it's it's a weapon that if ever it has to be deployed, the person that's deployed on would never see it coming. I mean, you know, a hat is something maybe you correct a bird dog with. It's not a real, but these things, it's about a it's about a pound and a half a shot, and uh, yeah. it, it'll it'll do the job. I mean, it's not it's not something that you're going to break a leg with, but necessarily you don't want to do that. But it is an impact weapon, and I think there's a lot of things like that. I carry a um, a fire striker on my keychain um, that makes an excellent Kubaton. I actually carry it because it's a fire striker, but it doesn't go beyond me that it's also a, a pressure tool. Right. Yeah, and, and that's that creativity that I'm talking about. And I, I bet for most of the listeners, if they empty their pockets right now, they can come up with some interesting self-defense uses for things that they have on them. I'll tell you, if you've ever been hit in the face with keys, you learn real quick. Oh. I mean, I've never been intentionally hit in the face with keys, but I, I turned around one time where somebody threw keys to me and, you know, as well as things, I'm not paying attention. They're not really paying attention. And I got hit in the face with a pretty good size ring of keys. And I was thinking, man, if somebody had that in their hand and hit me with it three or four times like that, it would have done a number on you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So the last thing we want to talk about here then is fitness. Sure. Um, you have, if you're fat, you're not prepared. Yeah. And, you know, I'm fully expecting to get some hate mail out of this one, but I think it's got to be said. Um, if you are overweight, there are just so many failings in terms of overall preparedness that you know you're you're just you're screwed you know if you're fat you probably can't run if you're fat you are probably on some medications if you're fat you probably need more caloric intake than someone who's not and that right there you know there's three things that you know in even a moderate survival situation become important. The ability to move with efficiency, the ability to survive without some kind of medication, and the ability to ration your food. I think one of the most dangerous things you can have with being overweight, and I say this to somebody who's lost over 80 pounds, is the person that's overweight and can still run and can go elk hunting. And, and can do because you you lie to yourself when you're when you're functional. I mean, right. you know, when I was 285 pounds and I'd go on a hike with somebody who'd be sucking wind while I was like, "Come on, let's go." Uh, you 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 convince yourself that you don't have the risk that you really do. Right. Um, and you and even if you're better than that person, you're not as good as you could be. Yep. Yeah. Undoubtedly. I mean, I I don't think I've ever known anybody that lost a bunch of weight and said, you know. I really need to put that weight back on. I was unless they lost it. From, let's be because we're going to get the technicality if you don't say it. Like unless they lost it from cancer, right? I mean, there's or they're from an sure. illness. There's a difference there. But when you're talking about genuine person moving from an obese or morbidly obese category to a healthy weight, you don't usually hear a lot of complaints about it. No, no, I, I, I haven't heard any. I'm sure there might be somebody out there, but you know, general rule guidelines here. I also do, though, take exception with a lot of the uh, the charts that decide who's overweight and what have you. Um, I'm right now rating at the 200-pound level, and at five foot uh, ten, the government would still classify me not only as overweight but obese. Yep. Um, they're out of their flipping mind. I played uh, my senior year of high school. I played football at about 190 pounds, um, and I was in incredible shape at that point. When I came out of airborne training in the army, I had gotten down to maybe 185. Uh, I was also 18 years old and 185 pounds. Um, for for me to weigh the 160 pounds that the government says I should weigh is is not realistic. And I think that we need to judge our performance. Based, you know when you're fat. 
I mean, there's just there's no way around that, right? So, but I think it is there is some level of you know you mentioned your weight being in the 130 pound class, um, and you're a little shorter than me, but we have entirely different body frames. Well, actually, I'm skeleton. I'm 155, and I'm classified okay. as as overweight as well. You're, you're, but, it's ridiculous. But it's, I am. Certainly, not, I am not overweight. <laughs> Let's. I, I'm. I have a fair amount of muscle. Um, you also say if you could be stripped of everything, you'd still have your body, so it's worth investing in. Yeah, you know, if you know your clothing, your skills. You know, what is it that you know? What is it that you can do? And who are you as a physical individual? You know, if you can run faster, jump higher, if you are stronger, you're going to have advantages in every situation. So I don't see why, as preppers, more people aren't addressing that aspect. You know, having guns is cool. Having a whole bunch of food is cool. Um, you know, a bug-out vehicle, a bug-out location, those are all wonderful things. But by investing in your body, by making yourself a more prepared individual physically, not only do you reap rewards right now in, in the form of a longer life, uh, generally a happier life, but in a disaster scenario or, or any kind of scenario where you need to tap into those abilities, you're going to be better off. It's a more immediate return than a lot of the things that preppers do already. And then, of course, as a person that's in good health, they require less care, less medicine, less food, less everything. You kind of alluded to that already. But in a, in a grid-down scenario, needing a lot of shit is not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, it's, you know... You, you've you've talked about and you've had people on the show talking about what it's like. You know, let's pretend there's a 90 day situation. You know, some you're not going to be able to get your medication for 90 days. Most people do not have 90 days of medication, and a lot of doctors won't prescribe 90 days of medication. What are you going to do? And and for a lot of those medications, by losing weight, by getting healthy, you can maybe not get off of them completely, but you can reduce the amount that you need to take in, and at the very least, reduce the impact of not having them. Hmm. Obviously, there are going to be situations where that's not true. And there's but, things that you, you people need medication to survive, that genetic malformities absolutely. or things like that. But, but there's a lot of people on a lot of medication that don't need to be. Um, there was a study done about a year and a half ago where they took, um, I think it was 30 people were participants in the study, all had type 2 diabetes, all were overweight. All were put, and this is a little bit radical, but it was for a study, on an 850-calorie diet for 45 days. The percentage of individuals who no longer were type 2 diabetics at the end of 45 days, out of 30 people, was 100%. Yeah. Which means there's no reason for anybody to be a type 2 diabetic. That's that's what that means. Right. I <laughs> I could not agree more. Diabetes is a lifestyle disease. And to, to be clear, to, so nobody gets pissed, type 2 diabetes is a lifestyle right. disease. I, I have a friend who was born a diabetic. He was diagnosed at 6. You know, I'm not talking about him. You know, yeah. he's, he's, he's done everything he can to manage it, and he does a good job. But you know, when you see someone, when, if, if you're overweight and you're buying Twinkies and you know, you're injecting yourself with insulin and you're wondering why you have to keep doing that, you know, there's a there's a correlation, and it's not. You know, it, it's only come out in the last few years that everything we've ever been taught about food has been wrong. But for listeners of this podcast, you know, you've you've heard that a number of times over the last couple of years, and people are starting to wake up to it. So, you know, if you've spent 20 years 
diabetic because you were told that you should eat as much bread as possible and not eat fatty meats, well, you know, here's your wake-up call. Switch that around. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I couldn't agree with that more. And when I hear people start like bashing bacon or whatever, I'm like, bacon was my diet pill. Yeah. I mean, it really was. I, I I I I can tell you, I was not one of these rapid weight loss individuals. In fact, I kind of hid the fact that I was losing weight from the audience because I wanted to do it all at once and then go here. And I, because I knew when I told people what I was doing, they would all go, "No, that doesn't work." And it's pretty hard to say. No, it doesn't work when you have a before and an after photo with 80 pounds missing. It's right. it's almost impossible to argue at that point, and that's why I kind of kept it quiet. Um, but that's that's worked out for me. Um, you have something here, though, um, about people with ankles, knees, back, and foot problems. Yep. Um, so I had some severe knee problems my senior year of college. You know, I was... I'd, I'd done some, I'd, I've always been really active, you know, played soccer, ran track, things like that. And come my senior year of college, I developed some really severe knee problems. I couldn't run anymore. And got out of college, I was working in retail on concrete floors. And by the time I was 22, my doctor said, you know, if we're going to fix this, you need knee replacements. And I was like, for Christ's sake, I'm 22. I'm not getting knee replacements. I'm going to have to have two more before I die, at least, if not three. You know, that, that's not really going to fly for me. So I spent the next almost decade doing everything I could to try and figure out what was, what was going on, what I could do better. And what I finally came to was the notion of going barefoot. Um, some listeners may have read or at least heard of the book Born to Run, which is about running barefoot. Um, in short... I work out barefoot. I am barefoot whenever possible. Uh, I wear minimalist style shoes. Uh, New Balance makes makes some called the Minimus. Merrill has some called the Trail Gloves. And you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that doesn't have an extreme heel. Uh, if you, you know, one of the things you can do as a test, try walking around barefoot, and then try walking around with shoes, and tell me that you don't walk differently. When you have that heel strike first, you're putting a lot of strain on your knee. The average person, if they go to a barefoot-style shoe or, or just, you know, let's say, for example, you go without shoes entirely for a few months, the average person is going to lose one to two shoe sizes because the muscles in your feet have atrophied from not being used. Your shoes do all the cushioning, whereas mm-hmm. your foot itself is a natural shock absorber. You know, thousands of years of evolution have brought your foot to where it is now to do its job, and all of a sudden we're throwing shoes underneath there to change because you know we know better science knows better than what the human body has evolved to do so are you talking about things like the vibram five finger and things like that or because i mean i was on the cusp of buying some of those a long time ago and my wife got on me about how ugly they are and uh i don't know that seems to make a lot of sense to me it seems like cody lundine light right yeah Um, because i mean dave's told me that like yeah, it works. Yeah, he can do it. But there's places where it does really slow him down. And it's also that he has some of the uh, – if you look at his feet, Dave said they're the ugliest thing you'll ever see in your life. Um, but the shoe that allows you to mimic that seems to make a lot of sense to me. The minimal necessary to pro- – I mean, I've got freaking sand spurs all over my property. You go barefoot out there for a day, and you'll be soaking your feet at night. But it seems right. like a good idea. Yeah, um, you know, the boots that I mentioned that I put those Kuba kicks on are actually from a, a company called Belleville. Uh, 
Belleville, Breville, Belleville, and they make boots for the military. And these are a, a minimalist style boot, and it's the first winter that I didn't walk around with sopping wet sneakers because I can't I can't wear a boot with a heel. It just doesn't work for me anymore. My feet, my body has adjusted to this different method, and I can run three miles now. Well, you know, it's been it's been dramatic. Um, you know, shoes shoes are the worst the worst thing we have ever done to our body. Um, you know, and there are examples all over the place of people that went to a, a minimalist style shoe or barefoot or, you know, some combination or whatever. And they all of a sudden their back feels better or their hips feel better or something because your body is now moving in the way that it was designed to move. And you brought up the Vibram Five Fingers, you know, those toe shoes. I think most mm-hmm. people have probably seen them. And they're great. And I have two pairs, but they're funny looking. I don't wear them day to day because, okay. you know, I'm a computer tech. If I'm going out to somebody's office, they already think I'm a nerd. The last thing I need to do is start showing them my toes. Yeah, yeah. So that's why there have been a, a bunch of other products that have come out that have a minimal style sole with a limited uh, heel-to-toe height difference in, in the shoe world. It's called the drop. You know, the, the New Balance Minimus are the shoes that work the best for me, and they have a um, about a four-millimeter drop, you know, which isn't very much. And it works great for me. And, you know, they just look like a pair of sneakers. And there's plenty of other brands that do something gotcha. similar. Gotcha. That makes perfect sense. Um, one thing I, it just makes me think of, and I remember back to now, when I used to take um, uh, martial arts with the, the guy that I was talking about, the first guy I ever studied with, one of the things we would often wear are the old-style Kung Fu shoes. Yep. And it's, I really haven't thought about those things in 25 years. But that's kind of what they are. Yeah. You've got the split toe, and you've got the flat sole, and the foot's able to move in them. And you can move like you're barefoot, but yet you still have some protection. I completely forgot about those things. Yeah. Yeah, those, those are great. And they're, you know, I've got a pair of shoes that, um, actually, I think I've got one, two, three pairs that actually mimic that with a split toe design and a, and a sticky sole. I wear those when I uh, do parkour. I was just going to ask if they even make those things anymore. I mean, that was yeah. the 1985 com- I'm talking about here. Well, you can still get those, you know, and those are, those are cheap. Those are like six, eight, ten bucks a pair. But there's a company yeah. out there called Zem, Z-E-M, yeah. that makes some of those. And they're awesome. And I think they start at like 30 bucks, you know, with a, a decent construction. Very they're they're cool. a lot of fun. I'll have to look into those. Anyway, man, this has been a great interview. Uh, I've appreciated having you on today. Thanks for having me. I've had a lot of fun. And, uh, I mean, I, I think it's really a great overview, and I think we've gone into some areas that generally don't happen with martial arts, so I appreciate that. Sure. Pause. Cause you... So, so with that, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that the, uh, the, the guy that I started with had uh, more than just a school. He sold uh, other martial arts supplies and stuff like that. turns out you do, too. You have a website called whistlekick.com. you got a blog there. Uh, but you were willing to put out a special offer until, what, May 1st for the audience. You want to tell us what you can do there? Yeah. Uh, long story short, um, I've been a competitive martial artist for a long time, and I got tired of the poor quality offerings in the protective gear world. So I spent a couple years developing my own, having it manufactured now. Uh, it's it's good stuff, and if anybody is interested, I'll, I'm willing to offer 30% off anything at the website. That's whistlekick.com up until May 1st. And to claim that, folks should use the coupon code TSP30. Again, TSP30. I'll make sure I put a link and remind people of the uh, 
of the uh, the code in the show notes today. And I appreciate you doing that. And just to be clear, folks, this is not just for MSB. This is for everybody until uh, until May 1st. Yep. So you got a couple weeks, basically, to, uh, to use the discount. And it does look like really great gear, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you. I spent a, poured a lot of money, a lot of, a lot of sweat and, and hard work into trying to come up with something better, build a better mousetrap. Well, again, I appreciate you being with us today, and I appreciate kind of going into some uh, undiscussed topics usually when we talk about martial arts. Really good stuff, and uh, it was great having you today. A lot of fun. And uh, with that, folks, this has been Jack Spirko today along with Jeremy Lesniak, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget. Are what we eat I don't know the answer It's like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay I guess when we Follow all the rules There's a better way To do this Let me show you A better way Yeah.